Stamford stood proudly in the doorway, arms outstretched in an overdramatic fashion towards the second man whom he'd just introduced as Dr. John Watson. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Holmes. He smiled good-naturedly. As quickly and as unnoticeably as possible, I tried to regain the composure I'd lost upon assuming Stanford was here to sap the last of my energy from me rather than genuinely trying to solve my problem of lodging. In order to appear as though I were deep in thought and not struggling to regain my bearings, I looked down at the body, pretending I was finishing a very important final step which required much thought and concentration. I realized my mistake in this, but it was too late. I knew Dr. Watson's eyes were upon me, likely judging my experiment. He was a medical doctor, and I knew what Stamford really thought about my experiment, so undoubtedly, Stamford had shared this opinion with Dr. Watson, who was now forced to judge me through this opinionated lens by which Stamford had described me. I should have said hello like a normal person and convinced him that I was worth rooming with, which obviously was the purpose of his visit, rather than pretending to be so deep in thought and coming off as exactly the type of weirdo that Stamford had told him I was. Rushing to fix this error, I quickly pretended my experiment was done and looked at Dr. Watson for a brief second to make additional deductions about his character, then I greeted him. It's a pleasure to meet you as well, Dr. Watson. I am indeed the one and only Sherlock Holmes. I then went to tip my hat at him. Hat tipping was a respectful and normal thing to do, right? But my hand was already in motion, and it was too late before I remembered I was not wearing a hat and that my hand was covered in a mixture of salt and mud from an early experiment about bodies and mud. My only success in this endeavor was in swiping a muddy, salty hand across my forehead, and everyone in the room looked embarrassed on my behalf. I faltered for just a second, then I said to Dr. Watson, I'm sure Stanford has told you that I'm just as likely to do the same experiment on myself as on someone else. I have been performing experiments involving placing both salt and mud on cadavers all day today, so it is only natural that I'm also curious as to what happens when I place these substances on myself. I was pleased by my comment, which could either be taken seriously or as a joke, depending on how one looked at it. Dr. Watson apparently decided to take it as a joke, but his eyes also widened in amazement upon my deduction of Stamford's commentary. How did you know Stamford told me that? I looked back down at the body nonchalantly. It's in the tilt of his head each time I mention one of my experiments and his propensity for telling interesting stories about the intriguing cast of characters he knows. As this is a notable feature of me and he, like a museum curator, collects interesting features of his friends. Dr. Watson looked more amazed than in my opinion was warranted, especially at such a simple deduction, but I was still pleased to have impressed him and hopefully erased his initial judgment of me. Stamford even looked quite pleased about my description of him, which I had done my best to describe him in more generous a manner than I normally might. Feeling an awkward silence upon us, I glanced around the room until my eyes came to rest on a small jar of my newest invention, a type of synthetic mud which I had created in the lab yesterday. Suddenly reinvigorated about this experiment, I blurted out, Do you want to see the new type of synthetic mud I have created? Dr. Watson looked hesitant. He briefly faltered in his politeness. I saw his eyes dart around the lab, falling upon the remnants of several other experiments of mine from the past few days. I knew what he was really here for, and I knew he was attempting to wager whether my eccentricity was worth the risk. I knew his type. From looking at him, I could tell he was a previously adventurous man who'd suffered a bit too much stress. 
which had turned his original eagerness to rush into new situations into a nervousness of anything that even vaguely smacked of danger, and a quiet distrust of new people, even though he was too dignified and polite a man to show it. Presumably, he yearned for the same enthusiasm and bold-spiritedness that he had once prized so highly about himself, but was afraid of what it meant to no longer be that person. Did he want to be that person again? but was uncertain as to how to reclaim that after the trauma that had changed him? Had he genuinely had his fill and was ready to become someone new? I had not faced the same horrors as he had, by no means. But I had suffered my own share of horrors which had affected me in their own ways, and I caught glimpses of this in between his put-on glances of socially acceptable facial expressions. I saw the way his whole body trembled lightly, as though some internal sense of anxiety rippled beneath the surface, barely contained. Bags beneath his eyes, poorly concealed by makeup, showed me how tired he really was. He was good at hiding it, something which can be both a blessing and a curse. But in my experience, it's more of a curse. No one comes to save you if they think you've already saved yourself. I knew he did not trust me, and that as he glanced around the room, keeping a wary eye on me as he did so, the question on his mind was not if he trusted me, but rather if he trusted me just enough that it was worth the risk of rooming with me. He was here out of necessity, and of necessity alone. The creeping funeral march of the situation he found himself in grew closer, and he was running out of time to find a solution. I knew this by looking at his clothing. Outwardly, they appeared perfectly suitable, but I noticed an unexpectedly large amount of lint on the elbows and knees of his suit, and there was a small hole near the collar of his coat. An odd scuff told me that the soles of his boots had been nailed back on, but not replaced. An additional scuff told me it had been he himself who had attempted it, rather than a cobbler. He was almost out of funds, and if he did not find a place to live soon, he would be as without a permanent residence as I was. Except his situation would be worse, as he did not seem like the kind of man who'd go secretly live in the library of a university. Stamford had brought us together, but neither one of us wanted this arrangement. He was a man sitting on the cusp between adventure and caution. My question as to whether he wanted to see the new type of mud? A litmus test. And it was up to him to tell me which side of the fence he sat upon. I scooped up more mud into my hand in a manner I hoped it was intriguing and reassuring. Dr. Watson's eyes came to rest upon my hands. He hesitated momentarily, his expression oscillating through an entire spectrum of emotions. Then he stood up a little straighter and seemed to make his mind up. He looked at me and whispered softly, Can I hold it? An answer. Worth the risk. Was I, though? I had not expected that to be his answer. I nodded awkwardly, attempting to regain my composure. I realized I'd been sweating without even realizing it. My hands shook lightly as I transferred some of the synthetic mud into Dr. Watson's own trembling hands. I wondered if he noticed my hands were shaking too. I demonstrated the properties of the mud to him, and he followed suit, squeezing it and transferring it from one hand to the next. This is a nice texture. He smiled gently, but I couldn't tell whether it was at me or at the mud. 
I allowed myself to give a small smile back either way, but Dr. Watson was looking back down at the mud. It's so satisfying, isn't it? He asked, squishing the mud around some more. It really is, I said. You can keep that one if you'd like, I can make more. Watson's face lit up, and he was just starting to say something. When Stamford cleared his throat loudly from the doorway. Dr. Watson, aren't you telling me you were looking for someone to be your flatmate because you can't afford to live on your own? Oh yes, indeed I was. Forgive me for the delay. Dr. Watson turned his gaze back down to the mud as his confidence wavered, embarrassed by Stamford's bluntness. Shooting a sharp look at Stamford, I pointedly said, There's nothing wrong with needing help affording a place to stay. I find myself on the same boat, and it makes sense, considering what rent costs these days. To my relief, Watson's shoulders relaxed a bit, and the blush faded from his cheeks. He said, Well, actually I've been looking at a flat down on Baker Street. It's an excellent value, but a little on the pricey side for myself alone. But it has several bedrooms, and I think it would be entirely suitable. If you're also up to it, I would be open to going halves on it with you. I put my mud down on the table and turned to face my chemicals. Suddenly, I was the uncertain one. I knew the conversation would come to this, but I didn't think it would feel so uncomfortable once it did. I found myself wanting, more than anything, to say yes, but knowing in my heart that the only right answer was no. I steeled myself from showing any sign of this internal turmoil. I started to open my mouth to say no, but I accidentally glanced up and saw Watson looking at me in a fascinated, kindly manner. I could suddenly no more bring myself to say no than to say yes. I think it sounds like an excellent deal, and you seem as though you'd make a very good flatmate. Give me the details on the flat, and I'll check my finances to see if it would be doable, and I'll make my decision at that point. This was partially a lie. I already knew about the dismal state of my own finances, and I knew what the average flat down on Baker Street went for, and that I technically could afford half of it. But as I could not bring myself to say no in the moment, I had to buy myself time in order to procrastinate on giving an answer. Perhaps if I delayed, Dr. Watson would find other lodgings or flatmates by then, and I would be relieved of the burden of rejecting his offer. I scanned Dr. Watson's face to see his reaction to this deferral, but he looked cheerful and was nodding. No, that definitely makes sense to get all those details in order first. He removed a scrap of paper out of his pocket, then spun it a complete circle, feeling his pockets and trying to find a pen. Jacobson, give him your pen, I whispered. I don't have a pen anymore. You borrowed mine from me earlier and I have not seen it since. I'll go get a pen, Stanford shouted. I think Marlene at the front desk has like... Fifty of them. I noticed that some of them had very cool prints on them. I saw one that had gardenias. Maybe I could... He trailed off, hurrying from the laboratory in search of a pen, and likely conversational partners more talkative than any of the rest of us were. Stamford left behind in his wake in awkward silence. In an attempt to fill the silence, Watson blurted out, So are you a medical student? Jacobson gave a snort of laughter in the background. Jacobson is, but I'm not. I am a generalist when it comes to the sciences. I did not want to go into any further details about myself at this time, so I said to him, Now you're back from the war, should you be interested in taking any classes here? I know most of the professors, so I could introduce you to any of them if you so desire. His face filled with surprise. How did you know? At that precise moment, Stamford re-entered the room, gleefully holding Marlene's gardenia print pen above his head like a trophy. 
Apparently, she hadn't been at her desk, otherwise he would have still been speaking with her. I found it. Now you can give Sherlock the information on the rooms, and then we can go about catching up. He handed Dr. Watson the pen. The surprised look on Dr. Watson's face remained, but softened slightly. He dutifully filled out the scrap of paper, then smiled and handed the information over to me. I folded it carefully and put it in my pocket. Thank you, Dr. Watson. I'll take a look at this in the meantime, and if you return on Thursday, I shall give you my answer by then. Wait a second! If my memory hasn't forsaken me, isn't Thursday your birthday? Stanford shouted, slapping me on the back. I groaned internally, wishing to retreat into the woodwork. Why did he have to bring this up now of all times? But it was too late. Before I could redirect the subject, Watson exclaimed, Your birthday is Thursday? That's very exciting. Shouldn't I meet with up with you on a different day as to not get in the way of your birthday celebrations? Thursday will be perfectly suitable. I do not celebrate my birthday. Oh, when, when you say that, do you mean you don't want anyone else to celebrate it either, that you just don't personally celebrate it? Mostly the latter, I said. Well then, I will return here Thursday for an answer, but would it be okay if I gave you a little party for your birthday? I, I don't want to embarrass you, but if you're going to be flatmates, I think it's only fair to get started off on the right foot. Oh, you don't have to do that. Something panged deeply inside of me, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was. But I'd like to. Only, only if you're okay with that, though. If it brings you joy to do so, I will not stop you, but I definitely don't expect you to do so. It's, it's more than okay if you choose not to or if something else comes up. Excellent. I'll do that, then. Well, it's been a pleasure meeting you, Mr. Holmes, and I'll see you on Thursday. Thank you for the mud, and Happy New Year's. Same to you, I said. We shook hands, and Stamford led Dr. Watson out of the room, beginning a new rant about some acquaintance of his named Timothy's new shoes. I busied myself in a new experiment, putting the remaining synthetic mud onto the body along with the regular mud and the salt, thinking about how, to my surprise, Dr. Watson had actually taken his portion of mud with him. But I no longer knew how I felt about that. Jacobson assisted me wordlessly until it was time for her to go home. I didn't realize how late it now was. Soon as Jacobson left the room, I covered my face with my hands and leaned forward onto the desk. For one perspective, part of my problem was likely solved. Assuming the price was within the usual range, I could afford half the rent on the Baker Street room, therefore wouldn't have to go sneaking around in the library, trying to pretend to read and sleeping in one of the corners under a tablecloth which I'd have to put back each day without being noticed. But it would be selfish for me to accept Dr. Watson's proposal. That was why I couldn't say yes to him, no matter how much the idea pulled me towards it. The fact that he now decided to throw me a birthday party made the idea of having to say no even more heartbreaking, but also more necessary. Dr. Watson was too kind. He did not deserve a flatmate like me. That was why I couldn't say yes to him, even if taking advantage of his offer would benefit me. I knew what I was like as a flatmate what qualities had caused the irk of now seventeen different flatmates in the past two years alone. Dr. Watson deserved a quiet, peaceful existence with a flatmate who'd be dependable and who'd be kind in the same way he was, and not constantly cause chaos and turmoil for everyone around them without meaning to. He did not deserve alligators in bathtubs or brains in freezers or trained escape fleas hampering for new pianos to play. 
He needed time to heal, not deal with someone who was misguided and weird and broken in the ways that I am, and with all the aspects of myself that I cannot change. I will tell him no next time I see him. I would rather continue living in the library and sleeping in the corner for as long as necessary than add him to the long list of people in my life whom I've disappointed. It wouldn't be right for me to do that. I'll take care of myself, even if it tires me. I have to. I'll make things work out. I'll save myself from the scrapes I always seem to find my way into. Same as I always have. I'm used to that by now. Sherlock's Blacks of Curiosities is a podcast written and directed by Ashley Craft and produced by Exquisite Lore based on the Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes was played by Ashley Craft. You can support this podcast by telling your friends about it, giving us a good rating on the podcast site of your choice, or supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can find the links in our description. Thank you for listening.